Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. And this will be on carcinoid tumors of the small bowel, the role of state-of-the-art 3D and CTA imaging. And this talk is based on the excellent exhibit done by David Bocamp a um, year or so back. And um, let's get started. So in this, in this presentation, we're going to speak about the uh, different uh, carcinoid tumors involving the, uh, the duodenum, jejunum, and ileum. We're going to look at their primary appearances. We're going to look at spread of the disease. We're going to look at how we can optimize detection in what's often a challenging uh, case. And we'll look at some of the pitfalls that we really need to avoid. When you speak about carcinoid tumors, uh, it's really talking about a, a neoplasm which exhibits classical histologic features. Uh, it's really a, a well-defined neuroendocrine tumor. 70% of them arise in the GI tract, and about 25% will arise in the tracheobronchial tree. Uh, these lesions are often multiple when they occur in the GI tract. They're relatively uncommon GI tumors, but their incidence is increasing worldwide. And they arise from various specialized endocrine cells uh, of the diffuse neuroendocrine system that uh, lines the GI tract. When you talk about carcinoid tumors, we speak about uh, tumors that produce uh, serotonin, which is the most classic thing. The average age of diagnosis is 61 years. It's more common in males and African-Americans. Synchronous and metachronous malignancies will occur in 30% of cases, most commonly a GI adenocarcinoma. And metastasis are present in about 13% of cases at time of presentation. While they're overall less aggressive than small bowel adenocarcinomas, carcinoid tumors are still associated with significant malignant potential and a five-year survival of only about 67%. As I mentioned, they're increasing in frequency in the small bowel by a factor of about four over the past three decades. Gastric and rectal carcinoids demonstrated a marked increase, while appendiceal carcinoids showed a decrease in incidence. But some of this may be due to the fact of how we detect these lesions before the carcinoids of the, uh, of the appendix were most common because they were found at pathology. And without cross-sectional imaging, particularly with fast injection rates, it was hard to pick up these incidental uh, neuroendocrine tumors of the GI tract. Rectal carcinoids, appendiceal carcinoids, and gastric carcinoids are commonly discovered incidentally as these tumors are more likely to be uh, hormonally inactive and uh, have a more indolent course in, all, in most cases. When you talk about the small bowel, we can think about tumors in different locations. Duodenal carcinoids are rare, but they make up the majority of G-cell tumors. Uh, the, the classic... Uh, uh, serotonin-producing tumors are rare in the duodenum. A third of these are functioning and cause Zollinger-Ellison syndrome. They're associated with MEN1. Uh, age range, mean is 53, but can range from 19 to 90. Based on location, they can cause jaundice from obstruction. And we use the term of gastronoma if the serum gastrin is elevated. 85% of sporadic gastronomas are in the gastronoma triangle, which is at the junction of the cystic duct, common bile duct, the inferior genua of the duodenum, and the neck and body of the pancreas. About half of these are intraluminal and polypoid, and about 40% are intramural in location.
When you speak about jejunal and ileal carcinoids, it's kind of a bit different. Majority serotonin producing, most commonly malignant with lymph node and liver metastasis, not uncommon. And patients a touch older, 65, are often asymptomatic until the patient has metastasis. These tumors can uh, obstruct bowel, they can cause ischemia, they can cause bleeding, and typically they're under three and a half centimeters in size. About a third of the time, they're multiple, and they can lead to intersusceptions. It's common with uh, these small bowel tumors to have a desmoplastic reaction, which can result in bowel obstruction. They can be infiltrating, and again, changes related to serotonin can give that classic desmoplastic reaction in the small bowel and small bowel mesentery. About 65% will spread to lymph nodes or liver at time of diagnosis. Now, in looking at the spectrum of small bowel carcinoid tumors, it's often a challenge because these lesions are small, typically in the one to two centimeter range. Now, with small masses, they're often polypoid. They can be picked up on enterocolysis, but with CT now, particularly when you do venous phase imaging alone, you're not going to see them. When you do MIP imaging off arterial phase, you will be able to see them. Occasionally, even the smaller ones can intersuscept. You could talk about a diffuse infiltrative process with abnormal enhancement and speculation. We could talk about transmural extension. We can talk about ischemia. And we could talk about bowel obstruction. So there's a range of possibilities. In terms of uh, these tumors, often in the past, we'd see the mesenteric mass, the, the uh, nodal mass in the mesentery with desmoplastic reaction, and often wouldn't see the primary tumor. Uh, in imaging mesenteric nodal metastasis, in about 70% of the cases, they're calcified. Mesenteric mass that's calcified, almost always we're thinking first of a carcinoid. Yes, there's um, fibrosing mesenteritis, and yes, there's calcified nodes, but you're thinking of carcinoid. Mesenteric retraction and speculation is often caused by fibrosis rather than the, uh, the serotonin per se. And again, spread of disease with implants on the peritoneum can occur, but you know, far less frequent, of course. When you're looking at these tumors, differential diagnosis would include adenocarcinoma, lymphoma, GIST, and sometimes even with the tethering inflammatory bowel disease. When you have that mesenteric mass, as you can see in the image on your right, we're thinking about lymphoma or sclerosing mesenteritis. But again, a case like this with the speculation, to me, it's always carcinoid till proven otherwise. Because of the way the tumors look and the way they spread, dual phase imaging, especially arterial, is critical. Um, injection should be at 5 ml a second. That becomes very, very important. If you do an injection of 2 to 3 cc's a second, particularly at 2, it's just not going to be good enough. So you need to do that. And again, CT enterography can be ideal. Arterial phase, axial images are great. And you can pick up lesions in many cases. But to be honest, as you look at the case here, things often are seen in retrospect when you only have the axial imaging. Coronal and 3D really allow you to see the small vascular tumors. Sliding MIPS works very nicely, and it makes it easy to pick up smaller tumors. Now, let's look at some cases where things are indeed challenging. So first, look at duodenal. This patient had upper endoscopy, which showed a mass in the first portion of the duodenum. Um, 
Look at the lesion on CT. You see how nicely you can walk by it on the axial imaging? But look at the volume rendered coronal view. You see, there's that vascular lesion, very straightforward. Here's the same patient. When you're looking at the MIP imaging, it's just too thick a slab. With a thin slab, you can see the lesion very nicely. Let's look at another case. Uh, this patient, uh, you'll see the lesion's small, 1.2 centimeters, neuroendocrine tumor, uh, one lymph node positive at surgery. Very nice example showing you that vascular lesion. It's small and it's near the ampulla. Very nicely shown. But look at the coronal view. You see it's much easier to appreciate. You also can see the nodes in place. So very, very nice and important example of both the arterial phase as well as looking at things in the coronal display. It makes it much easier to see. Here's another patient. Um, presented uh, with for mesenteric mass, had a Whipple's procedure. Um, you can see in this case, look at the multiple vascular lesions present. Again, these show well on the arterial phase, but in this case, a bit better on the venous phase, particularly the nodes. We do dual phase imaging. Again, most of the lesions show best, in my experience, arterial phase, but sometimes venous phase works very nicely. Um, here's another case, an interesting case, and uh, let's look very carefully at the lesion. And you can see there's a mass, but when you look at that first image, the mass is actually outside of bowel and outside of pancreas. It's really a nodal mass. And again, sometimes with carcinoid tumors, you don't see the primary tumor, you see the nodal spread very nicely shown. This can easily be confused with a neuroendocrine tumor of the head of the pancreas. And again, you can see some more images. This is a, a few months later, and you can see the extent of disease. And again, compare arterial to venous, how easy it is to miss on venous phase imaging. So that's the duodenal tumors. You see some of the pitfalls. In jejunal, pitfalls are the same. Uh, sometimes you just need to be very careful in looking in patients with abdominal pain. That may be the presentation. And you can see here very nicely, you can see a mass uh, representing the patient's primary carcinoid tumor, and then you see the uh, mass in the mesentery as well. Again, the arterial phase imaging is key for looking at the uh, primary and the metastasis. And on venous phase imaging, you can see it's very, very hard uh, to really uh, see things. You can kind of knowing where things are from the arterial phase, it makes it very easy. But again, it's very tricky in that regard. The other thing in this case, there are liver metastasis, and liver metastasis are best seen when you look at the arterial phase imaging. Uh, carcinoid tumors, essentially, they're always going to be hypervascular lesions, but they become isodense very, very clearly. Uh, you can see here the example of the mesenteric mass. You can see its location often involves SMV or SMA. Here's a few more views of that from, this, from the uh, oblique sagittal views. And here it is in the mesentery. Uh, on the coronal view. Very nice example. And you see the very prominent fascia recta. And you can see this also as I do a little bit of the color-coded mapping. Again, the importance of looking at the mesenteric vessels and the mass with MIP, very common in 
carcinoid tumors to see is in this case encasement of the, the branches of the SMV. It's often common to see SMV and SMA involvement as well. Here's another case. Um, this was instantly detected during evaluation for stone disease. Uh, you can see the mass in the mesentery, the calcification, the desmoplastic reaction. There's no tricks to this, you know, against sclerosing mesenteritis, the possibility, the differential. But then look at the other images. Look how the branches of the SMA are encased by the tumor. And you can see as you go down to the venous phase, you can see uh, the encasement of the SMV and also recognize liver metastasis. And although liver mets are probably best seen arterial phase, some cases they're best seen venous phase. That's why we do dual phase imaging. Another example, patient with abdominal pain, uh, intermittent and small bowel obstruction. You can see in this case, it's subtle, but there's the mass in the small bowel, there's the mesenteric mass with the faint calcification. Again, the calcifications are key, but the coronal view made it much easier to see that mass. And again, look how nicely the, uh, the, the MIP imaging worked. Again, very, very important in that regard. Another case, this patient had an unresectable small bowel carcinoid with large nodal mets near the SMA and SMV, as well as liver metastasis. Uh, it's an unusual case. I've never seen quite that much calcification in the peripancreatic region. But again, a mass that's calcified, you're thinking neuroendocrine tumor. You see very nicely the encasement of the SMV and occlusion. You see nicely the liver metastasis. You see also the arterial encasement. So again, whether it's arterial encasement or venous encasement, the coronal maps become very, very important in that regard. Another example, patient with diarrhea, flushing, you're thinking carcinoid tumor, and when you have all those symptoms, you're thinking about liver metastasis. Well, sure enough, you look, there's a mass in the mesentery and there are vascular liver mets, and when you look hard, there's also a small mass uh, in, the, in the small bowel, in the ileum, very nicely shown. It's subtle, but it's there, and the liver mets are very, very obvious and hypervascular and become less obvious on later phase imaging. At times, uh, with metastatic carcinoid tumors, finding the location of the primary is exceedingly difficult. This patient had an ultrasound. They found liver mets. On CT, we do see the liver mets. We do see the mass in the mesentery. We see the desmoplastic reaction. Again, basically showing you uh, the spread of disease. Now, when patients have been treated, uh, recurrences commonly match the primary type process. This patient on the right had colectomy and small bowel resection. And now what you're seeing is local recurrence, encasing the SMA, desmoplastic reaction with calcification in the mass shown very nicely under volume rendering and MIP. Or in this case, patients a year post-resection for carcinoid tumor, and now this patient has spread into the mesentery, and there also appears to be tumor in the small bowel. Now, perhaps the mesenteric mass was present before. That's usually the case. Perhaps it developed, but it's there. Another example, this is 12 years after ileal resection for metastatic carcinoid. And sure enough, Here's a mass. It's a recurrent tumor right in the root of the mesentery, implant in the right colon. Very, very nice example. Uh, again, from the perspective of uh, planning, this patient has carcinomatosis, ascites, there's nodularity on the omentum, you know, full-blown recurrence.
So hopefully then I've showed you a range of carcinoid tumors, proximal and distal, and how they look both in the primary mass as well as in the metastasis to liver or desmoplastic reaction. Uh, again, the importance of multi-phase imaging. Without the arterial phase, you're going to miss many lesions. Without the use of sliding MIPS on coronal, you're going to miss many lesions. And again, what we've always said, advanced imaging, and these cases are often among the most difficult, really require a comprehensive approach to the imaging. Good timing of injections, the right phases, and then the right display and interpretation become very critical. And if you do that, you're going to have a 90 plus or 95 plus percent accuracy in detection and staging of neuroendocrine tumors. And with that, have a great day.